I, be I believe in what I have prepared for us. Uh, I hope that this doesn't feel like, like an aside because it, we're, we're in week two of this thing where I'm talking about the spiritual disciplines. Um, last week we talked about ab abiding, just that idea of staying connected to the vine, that, that idea of, of resting in who he is. And I wanted to, that to be the framework for all this, but that's kind of what we're doing right now. You know, that whenever you're in his presence, we're, we're a presence-driven church. We are not a, a, a church full of programs. If you are looking for programs, we are probably going to frustrate you over the long term <laughs> because we are dependent upon the presence of God. And um, that looks like different things in different seasons, but it, it, it changes how we do counsel, how we do ministry. It changes how, how we do things. That, that's kind of the, the, the guiding line for us is the presence of God abiding in him. Um, when we're talking about spiritual disciplines, the only way that these make sense are that we find ourselves connected to God through them, right? Whenever we do any practice, whenever we're, we're engaging in any discipline, if we're not in the presence of God, if we're not abiding in him, it becomes legalistic, it becomes um, ritual, and it loses to me that very heart of what it's trying to be about. That you don't go to the, the Bible as a textbook, but you go to listen to your father, right? Th there, there's, a, there's a huge difference between what happens when you open the pages of that book, and, and it affects what comes out of it as well. Um, these are, are not practices that are, are devoid of presence. Everything that we talk about, these are not mechanisms that I want you to just put in religiously. Well, I know we use that term, you know, right? Religiously often means you're doing it without any heart, <laughs> Like, our language betrays us. What, what has religion become? It, it's become this idea that we do these things, these mechanical things, trying to just get through them and to prove something to somebody. That's not the case here. This is not a system for a religious life. I want you to be prepared, though, as we said last week, for when the day of trial comes. Um, we're seeing that around us sometimes in the small body of ours, that there's already sorrow, that there's an enemy who wants to steal, kill, and destroy. And we, we believe that, literally, that, that this is not a conceptual thing. We, we will face hardship. Nobody gets out of this thing alive, like I said, except for, you know, Elijah and Enoch, but w we won't worry about that. <laughs> it's a hard life met by a good God. And what we're talking about in these three weeks are ways that we navigate this by the light of God, by the goodness of God, that no matter what comes... We're connected to goodness. Uh, this week, we're, we're going to be talking about practices of, of self-denial, practices of, of abstinence, and, and saying, essentially, an enough. And it's really hard, I think, to live a life of surrender in this culture. Uh, often we surrender whenever we're forced to it, where we surrender whenever we feel like we have no other choice. But having a spiritual discipline of surrender means that we do this of our own free will, of our own volition, Right? when our hand is not forced. It, it, it's easy to surrender when you feel you have no options left. That's too late for what we're talking about. This is making the willful choice day in and day out of saying no to things. Often saying no to good things because we know that there's something better. The practice of, of saying that it's not about me, it's about something larger than me. Next week, I'm going to be discussing the, the practices of engagement. So those things that we actually do rather than the things that we abstain from. Uh, this is so countercultural. 
so countercultural. Let, let's not skip over that, right? Saying no, saying enough does not fit with the mindset that we have of get what you can when you can, of, of argue for the lowest price, of, of ensuring that, that you're taking care of yourself and, and your family before all others. That is countercultural to say, I've had enough, I'm done. One of my, my favorite stories is a C.S. Lewis book called Paralandra. I don't have the exact quote pulled up, but it's, a, it's an exploration of space through the eyes of, of C.S. Lewis and what this meant l- might look like. And he goes to this one planet where there's a Garden of Eden playing out already, but it's actually post-Christ. So Christ has already been on the cross. Christ has already died. And now there's, there's Garden of Eden. There's new creation happening somewhere in the universe, but the blood of Jesus has already made a way. And what happens is there, there's this one fruit that this guy has that he tastes. And he tastes it and he goes, it's the most magnificent thing I've ever had. But for some reason, like on earth, he knows that you would grab one, then you'd grab another and grab another, and then you would just stuff yourself beyond your capacity because it's what you feel you have to do. And he goes, he had one, and then he went up to, t- 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 to take another one. And he said it just felt wrong to do it. He had had enough. Greed and gluttony had lost its bearing there because sin had not yet come into that place. That's not the way we operate. There's another book, you know, that's written these days, The the Hunger Games, not recommending it. Pretty violent. It's a teenager book, too. Pretty violent. But there's this picture of the capital where everybody's coming to this capital and they're having this big party and and they're just feasting and feasting. Then they have, I forget if it's a, a pill or a drink or something that they have that allows them to purge themselves so that they can keep going again and party on and, and just, just keep going nonstop. That's the world we know. It doesn't say enough. <laughs> it doesn't say stop. It says keep going. And if you can find a way to, to, to keep going beyond your own appetite, well, good for you. Enjoy this life. That, that's what this is all about is get all that you can. So this is very countercultural. Your, your flesh will betray you and, and, and argue against the things that we're talking about this morning. We're going to be talking about solitude and silence, tithing, offerings, and sacrifice, secrecy, submission. I w- did not try to go with all S's, even though I realize there's a whole lot of S's here. <laughs> Fasting and, and, and Sabbath. <laughs> Could have changed it to starving. <laughs> That's pretty good. Um, not, not as spiritual. Um but let, let, me, let me help us understand this a little bit. Fasting without abiding in the Lord is dieting. <laughs> do, you, do you see the differences, right? Solitude without abiding, that's quarantining. We've done that. <laughs> we don't need to go back to that. Sabbath without abiding is just legalistic. Okay, do, you, do you see why abiding is so important for all of these? Like We have to do these things in the presence of God or else we're just doing something mechanically. And that's not the intent. That's not the purpose. Those things, they can make your life look a certain way, but I, I don't care about that. Like personally, Josh, the, the human, I, I don't care to try to make my life so regimented and so controlled by these, these things that, that might create the appearance of godliness, but lack power. And that's why to me, abiding has got to be the, the heartbeat that sets all these things in motion. Everything on this list is accessible to you, all right? You, you are without excuse <laughs> because we all have the ability to say no. Uh, it's hard. 
I'm not going to betray that, right? Th th this, this can be very challenging to do, but everybody in this room can do every one of these things. None of these things require an, an advanced degree or training or experiences or a specific season of life or a perfect body or a perfect soul. We, we can do these things. To some extent, to some way, we can do the things on this list. Most of us, if I can speak boldly here, choose not to or we forget. And that's to our detriment. Um, th this is hard because in a lot of ways I'm advocating for you to do something not on a Sunday, but to do something the rest of this time. Like you can't come in here and say like, oh yeah, we're going to now fast for three hours until we, <laughs> we get on to the next thing. The hope and the only reason that I'm doing this series is that you not learn things that I don't think I'm, I'm going to be teaching you, but that you're actually going to be inspired to put these things into practice. That you feel compelled to change the order of your life to make space to abide with the Lord in these practices. Um, not necessarily all of it all at once. <laughs> I think that that could be a bit much for any of us to leave here and try to do everything on this list tomorrow. But to make a choice to say, Lord, I will do this. I will follow you. This week, as we're talking about abstaining and surrender, it's kind of the opposite of something we talk about a lot, the, the prosperity gospel. This idea of you can tell your, your love because of how much God has done for you. This is the idea of saying to the Lord, I love you so much that I'm going to say no to the things that my flesh would say. Again, countercultural. It's countercultural. The posturing that we take in these things follows the example of Christ who gave everything, who surrendered everything. Not partially, <laughs> completely and totally. These disciplines of surrender encourage humility and dependence on God. You can tell people who aren't used to surrendering, right? My, my, my daughter, who has probably heard way too much about <laughs> these things growing up, and she talks about being a pastor's kid, you know, she's shocked to see people bragging about the clothes that they buy, how much money they spend. She, she's, she's distressed to see them living in this selfish world. And, and I, you know, I, I'm glad to see that her heart is that way because she's not inclined to think that way. And, and you can tell when there's somebody who's spoiled, <laughs> right? You know this. You know there's a person who never says no to a desire that they have. They just can't seem to control themselves. They've lived a life that betrays that their, their pattern is about me. And, and we don't have to get into the specifics and go too deep, but I'm going to say that that is not what the kingdom of God is about, right? And if you can recognize that in yourself, all the much more so that I think you should adopt these habits, to do them intentionally, to make this choice with your own mind. Th these aren't things that you're going to fall into naturally. If you just do what you want to on any given day, you're going to be selfish. <laughs> this will take intentionality. This will take purpose to say yes to God and no to this world. So we're going to start off with solitude and silence. Great one. <laughs> the world is a loud place, all right? Too loud. So many things clamor for your attention. We have a whole systems and technology just designed trying to make sure that you're not getting too far away from the alerts and the notifications and all the stuff. And, and we've developed technology just to try to make sure that people know everything. They, they know that their phone's in their pocket. That they know if they've gone too far. They know if their heart rate has low. We were at Bible study here on, on, on Friday, and my, my watch went off saying that, that my, uh, I was having a health trend, that I was not running as much as I normally do. I was like, yeah, I'm at breakfast right now. You know, and, 
And, and it's just alerting me, it's interrupting my day to call attention to things that it believes are the most important thing that I should be aware of at this point in time. That's not necessarily an entirely evil thing, but let's not do anything without realizing what we're walking into. And if we don't intentionally say no sometimes, we will be at the whim of whatever is directing our steps. We will be told, this is what you need to pay attention to. News alert, pay attention to this. Facebook notification, pay attention to this. Love these people, forget about those people. Pay attention to this, right? And we develop for ourselves a system that just focuses on whatever that system deems important. Solitude and silence is a way of saying no to that and saying yes to God. Solitude and silence is, is a way of saying, I need to get away from the clamor. I need to get away from the noise. I need to get away from this chatter and press into the Father's heart. Jesus did this maybe more than anything else, and that's why I wanted to start with it. You see that he's constantly getting away from the crowds. He was doing good work. <laughs> he was doing ministry. Like, I feel if, if he had a life coach, they'd say, oh, you're in the sweet spot now. You, you should press into that, right? Th this, is, this is so profitable. Imagine how many thousands will hear this message, Jesus. You need to be giving yourself all the way to that. Do, do everything you can to keep that. But he was always getting away, it says. Always being found in prayer with his father. He was turning away from that. They wanted to make him a king, and he says no to that, and he presses in to the father. He tries to escape the crowd, escape the clamor, because he knew where the harpy of the Father really was to be found. The world's competing for our attention. The Lord whispers so that we draw close. I, I don't see the Lord as being extremely competitive in nature. You know, where, where so many things are competing, you have apps competing for your attention, right? You, you, you have all these things that are happening all the time, trying to, to make sure you're paying attention to them and nothing else. The Lord doesn't seem to work that way. He doesn't lower himself to compete with that. The Lord gives us the space to walk away, but he will be persistent, I still say, in his calling to us. But we have to make sure that we're in a space that we're giving the time, that we're giving the attention to that. I, 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 I wish he was more competitive, selfishly. He just isn't, though. It's actually more loving. It's better for us in the long run. You know, like... God's not going to put out a billboard in the sky and say, look, God doesn't make himself available by the scientific method. You know, we, we've seen some healings in our church. I've seen more disappointments than I've seen healings. If, if I were the one doing this, I would try to make this the loudest, clearest thing that I could, but dependence on the Holy Spirit, walking this out, looks very different. So solitude and silence is refraining from interacting with other people in order to be alone with God and to be found by him. I think we all experience the challenge of solitude in the pandemic to some extent. Remember, though, it's not good for man to be alone, right? We could make all the introverted jokes that we want to. There's a Babylon Bee article that, that talks about how uh, you can hire a personal assistant to handle the, the small exchanges in church for you. <laughs> so you just have somebody to handle the, the chit-chat. And I have a pastor friend who said that his church was now hiring, and he gave <laughs> a link to that article. I, I, I get the, jo the jokes, right, that, that sometimes— and I, I only bring that up because I think that we misunderstand these things, right? Uh, I am an introvert. 
uh, on Sunday afternoons, I go home and I crash and I sleep <laughs> and it messes up the rest of my day because it's, it's tiring sometimes to, to be engaged, but it's not because there's not a love for people. It's where we get our strength from so that we're prepared for what the Lord has for us. Uh, and I think that we misunderstand this. We, we think that the clamor of the crowd is going to be where we get our strength. Then we're pulling our hopes from the people around us rather from than the Father. I talk about this, um, that I think we've completely misunderstood communion. Because Jesus would go from a place of engaging with the Father to then go and bless the people. His strength was not from the ministry time. His strength was from that time alone. That then he had what he needed to go forth and bless and so many times we think, I just need to go to the next big thing. We think, if, if I'm around the excitement, if I'm around the fervor, if everybody around me is shouting and proclaiming praise, then, then clearly the Lord's in this place. I'm not saying he's not, but I'm saying, where is the source? From the crowd or from the Father? And you can meet with the Lord, by the way, in a crowd. You can meet with him in all those places. That's the abiding of it. But you probably know yourself right? You can probably tell yourself, I need to get away. I need to press in. I know that I'm, I'm kind of going on adrenaline here. I know that I'm kind of going on emotional stuff. I'm, I know that, that, that there's not a deep root here. And what we're talking about is making deep roots that will hold through life. Silence goes well with solitude. We're so loud and we're so quick with our eager demands that our prayer and our worship is rarely posturing us to engage with the active voice of God. Dottie did such a fantastic job this morning of, of allowing this space. And I hope that, that we, we, we model that for everybody, right? But our prayer times, I, I, I feel so bad. I talked about this a few weeks ago, that, that, that Celtic practice of, of holding loved ones in love, where we're not bringing our complaints or the problems that we perceive about somebody. Like, I'm going to intercede for my, my brother Gary. I have no brother Gary. You know, I'm going to intercede for him. Lord, he's a drunkard. Lord, he's, 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 you know his lips. You know, and you can, you can list all the things wrong with him. And we just make this thing, and then we're done praying about him. We think, I prayed for you. This prayer practice, which has been revolutionary to me, is just say, Lord, I love Gary, and I know you love him more. And you just hold him in that space where you're meeting with God, and what I often have found is that whenever I'm doing that, I was doing that for Alan, who is, is now in the hospital, as many of us are, are aware through Slack. And I was doing that for Alan, and I just got such a sense of the Lord's peace and patience with it. And I think that that's an encouragement. I got to share that with them. And, and, and that's my hope, right, is that, that we listen more and we talk less. And I know that's easy to say, but it, it really changes where we go from here. First Samuel 3. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. Those days the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. That tells us a whole lot, by the way. We could press in onto that. One night Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out. Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord where the ark of God was. The Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am. You called me. But Eli said, I did not call. Go back. Lie down. I have, I've, I've been that parent. <laughs> Go back to bed. <laughs> so he went and he lay down. Again, the Lord called Samuel. Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, here I am. You called me. My son, Eli said, I did not call. I'm going to add that tone. I did not call. <laughs> Go back and lay down. <laughs> 
Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. A third time the Lord called Samuel. Samuel got up, went to Eli, and said, Here I am, you called me. And Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, Go and lie down, and if he calls you, say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. The Lord came and stood there, calling as the other time, Samuel, Samuel. Samuel said, Speak, your servant is listening. I think I messed up on Friday night, or Thursday night it was. I couldn't sleep at all. I got out of bed, I went downstairs, got some water, I, I, I moved around. And I was not in a, in a good place, I couldn't figure out, I was exhausted. I, had, I knew we had the pancake breakfast in the morning, so I was like trying to, trying to get some sleep. And I didn't pause at all to ask the Lord what was going on. That was the night when Alan was struggling and went up into the ICU. think there was a moment there you know I, I wish that this was always great stories of success that I could share from the pulpit but you know and I don't even have a, a great sense of conviction from for that it's not like I feel like oh I failed you know like I like I'm not that important <laughs> but I do think I missed out on an opportunity because I wasn't listening because I, I was more concerned about my own agenda and the things that I wanted to do it's hard to remember this all the time. But what I want to tell you is that when we engage, when we can be quick to recognize, when we have a, a habit of always asking first, Lord, is that you? I think that changes the, the way that these things happen. Next one. Tithing, offering, and, and sacrifice. For many of y'all, this will be the first time you've heard me ever mention tithing <laughs> from up front. Uh, we don't talk about this often, and I think it is because I have such an extreme dislike for this being a central message. And also because we are blessed by a number of generous, faithful supporters of this ministry, because it, it does take finances to do that. Um, the the reason why I want to talk about it in this context is because while I don't see it as being the sort of thing that I want to beat this drum and make sure that you're doing, it actually matters to you for your spiritual discipline. Do you understand that? Like, the, like th this is, we do our, our budget, we share that out, y'all can see where we're at financially. We'll always talk about that if there's ever any questions about it. But it matters so much to you that you are actually giving of your tithes and your offerings to the Lord. It matters to me. Um, it, this is, I think, fairly well known this I hope this doesn't come off as prideful I'm, I'm not paid to be a pastor fully volunteer we tithe to this church <laughs> so it is it is not a financially beneficial to us to be in this church it's financially not helpful to us to be in this church but it's that important thing that we do this all right I pay, <laughs> I pay this church to, to let me be the pastor. That makes it sound really terrible. <laughs> um, <laughs> the, the scripture says this so clearly, right? Where your treasure is, there your heart is also. I know for myself, personally, that if I do not give, I'm building treasure for myself here. And I will begin pursuing that as a place where I should be keeping my treasure. 
And I know that when I give and support this ministry and, and the things that we do here, and I actually know where the money's going, and I'm proud of that, I love that my kids can talk about this and, and that they're proud of knowing what we do. They, they hear dinnertime conversations, as pastor kids do, about what we're doing and, and the, the, the families in need and, and where we're, we're doing some of this stuff. We don't talk about that often from here, but it, I, I love seeing that, that what we do has integrity. Churches and institutions are just as prone to getting this backwards as individuals. All right, that's one of the reasons I don't talk about this. All right, I, th I think often we shift that burden. We say, you need to tithe, you, ne you need to do those things. And then the churches themselves, then it's like, yeah, and thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> you know, it does take money. We're in this world, and that's part of it. But churches are just as prone to get this backwards. May we always be a generous institution. And I hope you trust us with that. And if you don't, that's a problem, and we should talk about that. I care less that you support this church, sorry, board and elders, as long as you're giving sacrificially to the Lord in whatever capacity there is before you. Um, this is a spiritual discipline. This matters a great deal. People make a, a, a big deal about tithing on gross versus net sometimes, pre or, or, or post-tax. That's not the thing that I care about because the Lord loves a cheerful giver. In fact, that the New Testament model on giving is not 10%. It's giving until the need is met. <laughs> All right? It's to give generously until the needs are satisfied to those around us. My favorite things as a church is actually whenever we've run out of budget, which happens, to support a need that comes up and we take it to the church. And we say, this is the need. What can we do as an institution? What can we do as a, as a body? And people give extraordinarily to that. It's not about the tithes then. It's about the offerings. It's about giving generously until the need is actually fully met. We break it down that tithing is giving the Lord the first fruits, and I think that that matters. The first 10% as a spiritual discipline, offerings going above and beyond, uh, the needs of the community or situations that come up. And then I added to this, not just tithes and offerings, but also sacrifices. Completely different category, but it's kind of the heart of the whole thing. I will not give to the Lord something which cost me nothing. I just heard a, a recount of a historic church on a podcast just yesterday. So I thought I had all my work done, and then I heard it. So I was like, oh, I got to talk about this. There was a guy who was traveling, and he was touring through ancient biblical sites, and there was this beautiful old church that apparently used to be even older and even more glorious than that. But what ended up happening was the emperor came and he wanted to put up a statue of his wife. And the church was not happy about hosting a vanity project for the emperor. So the emperor said, well, I'm going to do this anyway. You know, the, the church argued and complained against it. But the emperor said, no, nah, I, I love this church. I love this history. This is what I'm going to do. The church burned their historic church to the ground. <laughs> Can you imagine that? Their heart was willing to be sacrificed. The beauty that they had, the things that they had to keep the integrity of the thing going. That they would not allow this to become a vanity project. They wouldn't allow this to become something else than other what it was meant to be to the glory of God. And that really really struck me. What is the important thing? What, what matters in the story? You know, is it, are, are we willing to sacrifice things or do we build up these sacred cows, things that we are unwilling to touch? 
And I think most of us, we do, we experience some sort of thing where like, I will give the Lord this and this and this. I can't go there. There's something that we have in our lives that we just know, I, the Lord wouldn't ask me to do that. And you can think about Abraham, his son. And we think about our father and his son. We think about our careers. What is the thing that, that we say, I just can't sacrifice that thing? My, my time is too precious. My job is my, my, my only hope. You know, we have these things that we just feel like we cannot go beyond that point. I count everything as lost from Philippians 3. I, indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Fun Greek fact. The word for rubbish there is scubula, which is a four-letter Greek word <laughs> for human excrement. It is a rude, profane word that Paul intentionally chose here yeah, you, you want to talk about it. Like, this is, this is the Bible. It, this, was, this was like a shocking passage to read that Paul says, I count all the things around here as scubula in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him, in his death. A everything sacrificed. That, that's this discipline. That's where we're going. Tithes, offerings, and sacrifice. That we can say anything, Lord. And that's a hard call. Second Samuel 24. I want to give a little bit of context for this one. David spent 10 months taking a survey of, of the fighting men of Israel. As you're a king, you might think you have the right to do this. We take censuses all the time, right? This was against the advice of his advisors and against his own discernment. Verse 10 of 2 Samuel 24 says this, David was conscience stricken after he had counted the fighting men and he said to the Lord, I've sinned greatly in what I have done. Now Lord, I beg you, take away the guilt of your servant. I've done a very foolish thing. There's a plague as a consequence and then we see this. On that day, Gad went to David and said, go up and build an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor. Averuna the Jebusite. So David went up as the Lord had commanded through Gad. Aruna said, Why is my Lord the king come to his servant? To buy your threshing floor, David said, so I can build an altar to the Lord, that the plague on the people may be stopped. Aruna said to David, Let my Lord the king take whatever he wishes and offer it up. Here are oxen for the burnt offerings. Here are threshing sledges and ox yokes for the wood. Your majesty, Aruna gives this all to the king. Aruna also said to him, May the Lord your God accept you. But the king replied to Aruna, No, I insist on paying you for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen paid 50 shekels of silver for them. David built an altar to the Lord there and sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. Sacrifice means it costs you something. It costs you something. We often have the value of the best deal we can get. <laughs> is a two for one, <laughs> right? Look, I was able to get this and then give it to the Lord. It's a win-win, <laughs> right? I cost nothing and the Lord gets the, all the benefit of this. 
I'll tell you personally, it's sometimes great. You can just go to, to Amazon.com, right? And you can just sign up for the smile thing. And you can just put the church as your 501c3. And I do this, right? And I, I don't even have to pay that money. If I buy anything from Amazon, that money goes straight to the church. It costs me nothing. Uh-oh. <laughs> that's not sacrificial. I'm not saying that's wrong. <laughs> In fact, it is helpful, as my board says. <laughs> in fact, it's helpful to the church budget. The heart call here is that we know what we're called to do. Do you know that ministry is always inconvenient? Always. Not, not sometimes. Not, not in difficult situations, ministry is challenging. No, ministry is always inconvenient. It costs you time, costs you energy. You know, you want to go someplace, but there's this person here who's in need. That It's an emotional tool. It's a physical tool. You have to engage with the Holy Spirit. Ministry is always inconvenient. That's what we're called to. Sacrificial love for another person. Next, secrecy. Keeping that story of David fresh in our mind, what was his sin? What did he do wrong there? He's counting the, the, the fighting men. Why? He didn't trust the Lord. And he probably wanted to know what they could stand up against. He probably wanted to know, you know, how strong are we compared to the Egyptians? How strong are we compared to this stuff? And, and you know, you publish a nice report. And you say, look, Israel, I'm the king, and look how great things are, are going. We have all these 500,000 fighting men from Israel, and I think it was 300,000 from, from Judah, if I can remember correctly. You know, we're doing great. Harry S. Truman quote, you've probably heard this, it's amazing what can be accomplished when we don't care who takes credit. We don't operate that way in the world, right? We don't, we don't as a church publish our financial giving or really we don't publicize much of, of what we do to support the poor. I hope you know we do it. <laughs> um, it bothers me a great deal seeing on social media often, you know, people who, who, who report all sorts of, of things ab about what they're doing. And, and scripture is pretty clear on this. When you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Except if you post on social media. <laughs> so don't tell your right hand, but you tell everybody else, you know. This is counter-cultural. This is counter-Christian cultural. Um, I don't want to call out other churches, so I, I won't. But let me tell you that, that during my sabbatical, uh, which was an amazing time for me. Thank you for letting me do that. I, I did get to visit a, a lot of other churches, not just in our area, but all around. And my, my two-cent knee-jerk reaction was, let me tell you this, branding is out of control in the church. Like, I cannot believe how much has gone into the, the, the naming of things and, and how the, the announcements are just fraught with all sorts of name dropping and all, all sorts of branding is out of control. I, I, have, I have a personal pet peeve against marketing of the church and I apologize to my board again for this one because I don't even want to ever call it marketing, right? Because it's, to me, that, that stinks. It, it just, it rubs me the wrong way. And this could be detrimental to our, our church's <laughs> exposure and how people find us, but that's okay for me. Because here's the thing, I actually, I'm, I'm grateful that there are churches that are well-known that I think do a fantastic job of getting out there. May we engage as the Lord leads us with the, the integrity of this passion of, the, of this thing. I, we call it salt and light sometimes when we do have like a, a Google or something because it's like, yeah, we want to be visible. 
We don't want to be completely invisible. People should find us if they want to know where we are. But even when we've done our, our evangelism stuff, I know that a lot of the times we'll encourage people to find a local church, a place where they can connect, even if it's not ours. That matters to me. It's not about the church. It's about the kingdom of God. It's not about the branding of who we are. I, I, I believe who we are matters. I believe the discipleship we do matters. I, th- I think we do it well. I like the way we do things. However, we are not, thankfully, the only game in town. There's wonderful places doing wonderful things, and God bless them. When you give to the needy, not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. We live in a self-promoting, self-congratulatory society. Why, why is that? And this is a, a real thing, I think, for pondering. Is it, is it fear that makes us want to promote ourselves? Is it pride? There's a whole lot of reasons, I think, that people might do this. I, I think our prayers sometimes betray that, too. We think that we deserve something rather than recognizing that the truth is our sufficiency in God alone. We, we, we think, I need to tell God about what I've been doing. <laughs> I, need, I need to make sure that the church knows what I've been doing just because then I'll, then I'll get what, what, I, what should be coming. I need to get that pat on the back. I need to get that encouragement. So, it, you know, I, people have to know. And so we, we do this thing to ensure that, that we've got this communication that I can get what's due. I can get what's right. I can get the funding. I can get the support. I can get all these things. And it's hard because you know what? We need volunteers. We've, we've got food drives going on right now, which we're promoting <laughs> that everybody knows that we're doing this because this matters because we want to do this. So this is not one of those things, again, where I think it's going to be a clear cut, never do these things. We live in a world where we do have to talk about, where we do need to encourage, especially inside the church. I think if somebody else gets credit, we think we need to keep up or else we might get overlooked. LAUGHTER I'll take that as a amen. <laughs> right? We don't want to be overlooked. It hurts to be overlooked. It's frustrating to get overlooked. It, it's frustrating to, to serve in silence and to have the eyes just pass right over us because they don't know what we've been doing because we've been doing something for so long and so faithfully. Do people even know that I get here early to make the coffee? Do people even know that, that you know, we're, we're doing these things? Do they know what it takes to, to clean up after the kids have been back there for a few years? Like, we serve in these ways, and it's good to, to celebrate that. But secrecy, I want to say, is a spiritual discipline. Let's read more from Matthew 6. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. When you pray, do not pray like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. When you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. So much of this is about trusting God and his character and his timing and his faithfulness choosing his rewards over our own words, not getting the attaboys and the, the praise and the adulation, all those things that, that we want to get when we do something good, but actually trusting that God's got this. You can get worldly rewards for this. I don't want to be content with that. I, r- I really don't. 
I, 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 I'm going to call him out. I'm going to steal a little bit more from him. Jeremy did something. I forget what it even was. I can't even tell you that. But I said, thank you, and, and well done. Like, job well done. He goes, don't say that. I'm not going to get my reward in heaven now. <laughs> and and I, I, I love that because I think it is such a, to me, that's remembering scripture and putting our, our, our value where I think it should be right? That we're not doing this to be recognized. We're not doing these things because I need to get that understood, but I'm doing this because the Father who knows these things, this delights Him. This is what He's called us to do. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) All right, submission. I still laugh at this one. Where's Brant? There's Brant. I I don't remember exactly how this went down, but somehow I handed off a a, a sermon to Brant to preach on submission that coincided with a visiting group of, of women from <laughs> one of the nearby universities <laughs> who didn't know us. So he's preaching about men and women and submission as this whole group walks through the, the door. And I think uh, I think that caused you a little bit of stress. That was actually when I was in, in Russia. I don't... I, I looked back on, on how that came up and how that time was. I, I must have been preaching through a book of the Bible and that was the next few verses or something. But I looked back on my notes and I can't figure out how you <laughs> how that went. But the thing is, submission is a spiritual discipline. All right, you are God, I am not. I want to talk about about David again from 1 Samuel 24. After Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told David is in the desert of En Gedi. So Saul took 3,000 able young men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. He came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there, and Saul went in to relieve himself. He's going to have some scubula. David and his men were far back in the cave. The men said, This is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Now imagine that, okay? You're the anointed, all right? You, you have physically been anointed as the next king. You have friends and counselors who are with you, and they're letting you know, Hey, look, there's the guy who wants to kill you coming into this cave. This looks like a divine appointment. I, I cannot believe the submission that David actually has here. David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Afterward, we see this for like the the last passage we read, David was conscious stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he's the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. Saul left the cave and went his way. There's so much chatter about submission because we don't want to submit to anybody. We don't want to bow the knee to anybody. Husband and wife and wife to husband. Uh, we, we just want to keep these things egalitarian. We want to keep these things from, from feeling like we're losing out on something. I think submission is one of the worst opportunities for spiritual abuse and rampant pride one of the greatest opportunities to see the divine community being what it's called to be. I don't think there has been anything that can compare to the spiritual abuse done to people in the name of submission. When this is done poorly, when this is done wrong, let me say on behalf of the church of Jesus Christ, I am so sorry. I know in this room so many people have been hurt by submission being done wrong, by selfish, egotistical, narcissistic people who just simply desire power and praise and adulation. 
but when we look at the way that Jesus submitted to the Father in all things, that he would not do things his own, but he would always press in to say, what is the Father doing? We get a picture of what it's meant to look like. When you see a husband and wife who are just both trying to outlove each other, <laughs> you see a picture of the kingdom of God come. We struggle with this one so much. And you know what? I think any time that it's misused, we need to call it out. We need to say that is not biblical. That is not what the Lord is doing. At the same point in time, that doesn't mean that we should forego this because it's hard. The picture, I think, is Revelation 4.9. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne, and they say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. What you have been given, submit it to the Lord. Whatever position you have, we were, I was in a, a panel with Melissa, and we were talking about the privilege that uh, many of us enjoy for being white male. Well, that some of us <laughs> appreciate for being white male. What do we do with that? What do we do with what we've been given? What do you do with the power, position, finances that you've been given? This, I think, tells us what we do. We lay it down at his throne for him to use as he will. Amen. That's the picture of the kingdom of God. Let us outlove, let us outserve. Whatever benefit I have, whatever I have, I'm going to count everything as lost because I give it all to him. That's the picture of the kingdom of God. That's submission to him. I think the hard thing is we don't trust that the Lord is going to take our submission well. We're afraid that if we bend the knee, Somebody's going to come and take everything from us. Let's be honest, that's what they did to our Lord. Yeah? Did that cause him to stop? If somebody's going to take advantage of you, what are we called to do? My, my kids love this one, right? Somebody comes and they say, give me your shirt. What do you do? Give me your clothes also. Somebody hits you on one side. Do you hold up your rights and say, that's not right. That's a violation of my space. Turn the other cheek. If a soldier comes and in a very selfish way says, carry my gear for a mile, what do you do? Go to. Have we forgotten our scripture? <laughs> Have we forgotten what our Lord did when, when he talks about submission? Are we so concerned about our personal rights, about our own personal space, about these own things that, that we just think, I will not submit. I will go so far, but I will go no further. That's not the picture we have in Scripture. And it is countercultural. That if you have been given a crown, take it off. It's not even saying that you shouldn't have it. Not saying that it's not glorious. Not saying it's not even given by God. It's just saying we give it back. That's the picture of submission in the kingdom of God. That Christ Himself submitted to death, even death on a cross. That He served His disciples, washing their feet, trusting His Father to exalt him, that all things would work out. But Lord, if it's possible, take this cup from me. Guess what? He was taken advantage of. He's betrayed, abused, mocked, killed mercilessly. That's our gospel. We're going to wrap this up real quickly with these last two. Fasting. 
again in Matthew 6. And by the way, fasting is one of those things where it says, when you fast. All right, just notice that. Matthew 6, moreover, when you fast, don't be like the hypocrites with sad faces, for they disfigure their faces, that they may be seen by men to be fasting. Most certainly, I tell you, they've received their reward. Again, you get what you want. You want people to look upon you and say, oh, you're so spiritual. <laughs> just do the physical motions and everything's fine. But he tells you instead, pour oil on your head. Walk around with this because don't let them know. This isn't for them. It's not for your own benefit. But when you fast. Uh, Jesus didn't actually command fasting. He just modeled it. You know what I mean? That's a spiritual discipline. It's not like, well, this is how we're going to do these things. He, he, just, he just did it. And the expectation is that we would too. We have forgotten fasting. We, we just generally don't do it because we have food, you know, and, and we have a readily supply of it, and we can just enjoy it. Church, don't let your appetites control you. Don't let your appetites control you. When Jesus was in the desert, fasting, all the appetites for power, for glory, all those appetites that could pull on him, he laid them at the feet of the Father. I don't want to shame anyone here, but I want to get on a soapbox about Lent. People like to give up sins for Lent? No. <laughs> that, that's Give up your sin all the time. Right? <laughs> like, like, don't wait for Lent on that. Like, like, fasting is not about getting rid of something bad in your life. <laughs> exactly. Fasting is about giving up something good for something that's better. All right, you, you, you can't live in a perpetual state of, of fasting because that's not the point. It's laying down something good, something that you even need because you acknowledge that there's something better. That's what fasting is really about. I think one of the, the biggest uh, uh, understatements in the entirety of scripture is in Matthew 4.2. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I bet he was hungry. Sabbath. Sabbath is a way that we put our money where our mouth is when we say it's not by my might or power or wisdom. We have a, a wealth of teaching on the Sabbath that I'm not going to get into with you again. I, I, I think I was going to do an original two or three week thing on the Sabbath that we did for 10 to 12 <laughs> weeks um, because there's a wealth here. I'm talking about how fasting is ignored by the church. Sabbath is ignored by the church. Sabbath is forgotten. This is not something that's Old Testament that doesn't apply anymore. This is for us. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. I mean, it, the one that convicts me this week, which I actually didn't even get to, I should go back to the Sabbath series and extend it a little bit more, because he tells us not to buy and sell on the Sabbath. Do you know how easy it is to just go to Amazon and just say, oh, I, I, I almost forgot, let me just quick order that thing, Right? This morning before church, knowing I was talking about this, do you know what I did? I had to go to the store to buy creamer. <laughs> and that after I bought it, I got in the car. I was like, oh, man. Because <laughs> we don't think this way. We don't carve out time to take a break from buying and selling, to take a rest from our labors, from forcing others to do labors. We don't do that. We go to restaurants, and we have people serve us and, and feed us and make food for us, Right? We don't, we don't operate this way. And it, we, it's because we don't want to be legalistic, and I get that, and that's a good thing. Let's not be legalistic. But the same point, Sabbath is for you. It's not for God. 
You know, I think that that's the thing that we forget. That Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. He said, for your own benefit. That's the whole spiritual discipline thing, right? That, that this is for your benefit. You, if you do these things, your life will be richer. You will be prepared for the day of trial whenever it comes. You will find the rewards of, the, of your Father in heaven rather than the rewards of this world. But, you know, it's just more convenient to order it now. Just more convenient to, to just do what we want to today and, and just treat it like any other day. By the way, Sabbath is technically Saturday too, so maybe I'm okay with the buying and selling. <laughs> just in wrapping this up, I don't believe that these are, are for some people and not for others. All right, I think everybody in this room, this is for you. These are the components of a healthy spiritual life. I don't think that you can say, I'm not inclined to that. I'm just not, I'm not, I'm not a fasting type of person. <laughs> None of us are. <laughs> It's always hard. I've been running for, for years now. William, I appreciate well, I appreciate your your you're your talking about this because I, I I'm going for runs and you know what? I hate it every day. <laughs> like every day. I get out of breath and I'm sweaty and it's not fun. I think some people love it because they're different than me. <laughs> but but what I hear is that this is the case, right? It's work. That's the deal with even working out, right? It's always got to be hard. You have to, to push yourself to get the benefit of this exercise. It, it doesn't really get easier. It just gets different. I can just run a little bit further before I get tired, right? Or I, I just, I'm, I'm not gasping because I'm feeling like I'm about to die. I'm only gasping because I've lost my, you know, it gets different, but it doesn't really get easier. And you can always push yourself beyond that point where you need to be. And they say the same thing with grief, right? When we've suffered loss, it doesn't go away just gets different. This is a component of our life as we walk this out. These spiritual disciplines are not for a season in your life that you, you did that. You, you take a six-month course, and then you look back and say, whew, yeah, man, I gl- I'm glad I got that part out of my spiritual life. But when you fast, when the Sabbath comes around, as often as you can, getting away in solitude and silence, This isn't training for a race, and then after the race, we stop. You have to put in the work. No one can do this for you. You can't hire out spiritual disciplines to a person who's better at this than you. You can't give an indulgence to the church and say, well, I don't have to fast because I gave an extra 10% this week. I'm going to quote Arnold Schwarzenegger. A well-built physique, I'm not going to do it with the accent, (laughs) just to clarify that up front. A well-built physique is a status symbol. It reflects you worked hard for it. No money can buy it. You cannot borrow it. You cannot inherit it. You cannot steal it. You cannot hold on to it without constant work. It shows discipline. It shows self-respect. It shows patience, work ethic, and passion. That is why I do what I do. As he says towards his physical body, I believe we should realize for our own soul, for our spiritual well-being. You can't inherit this. You can't borrow this. You can't buy this. You have to do the work. And it will be revealed. Your, your spiritual well-being will be revealed when the day of trial comes. And I want you as a church to be well-prepared. That whenever there's doubt, whenever there's fear, whenever there's hardship, you're going to be okay. I really want that for you because <laughs> that day is going to come. I pray that they come 
seldom and, 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 uh, and softly. But I think we know enough about this world to say we don't all get that same story. Unfortunately, you, you can't handle spiritual disciplines in an altar call. You can't just get that done and check that off. But what we can do is take a little bit of silent, uh, silence. That's what I want us to do. Dad, do you want to come back up? Actually, I think um, Matt's word before is particularly apt for us. Because I think the, the raisins, if I can put that language on it, being dried out. If you've been doing spiritual disciplines in a way that I think I've not been giving life, I think maybe you've been taking some human rewards. Maybe you've had the, a heart not of abiding in the Father, but of just trying to, to get things done mechanically. At the very least, I do think that there's some healing that you can have. We've got a, a word, too, if this is you at all. If there's something with your, your ear, your right ear, I'd extend that to say, if you want prayer for anything whatsoever, this is a chance for that. All right, we're, we're seeing healing in part. I want to see healing in full. So I'm going to pray for us. We're going to worship. If you need to, to get out of here, this can be your, your dismissal as well. We're going we're gonna to end with an ongoing time of worship and prayer and reflection and letting the Holy Spirit go. Um, I know that you've got things to get to, and so you're, you're, you'll be dismissed with this. Lord, thank you. Thank you for the rewards that you give us in your presence. For the goodness of the Father before us. Thank you for making a way, Father, that we can be prepared for when a day of evil comes. I want to sacrifice to you, Father, who I am. I, Josh Pavel, I, I want to I give you my life. I want to count everything as lost. My victories, my sorrows, my defeats, my shortcomings, my hopes, my dreams, my family, my job, my future and my past, Father. I want to lay it at your feet. Because, Father, I believe that the kingdom of God is the most important thing. Because, Father, I believe you're a good God. That you've come to give us life and life to the full. That you alone are good. So I say yes to you. And I speak your blessing on this body. I speak your blessing on these people, Father. I pray that in our time this week we'll abide with you. And Father, you'll prepare us to be salt and light to a community that needs to see it. That we will be evidence of what the Father does in secret. That we'll bring the power of God to those who need it. That we'll bring the love of God to those who need it. Lead us, Father. And speak, for your servants are listening. I bless you, church. Amen.